Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Security Token Show, episode 13. My name is Kyle Sondland. And I'm Herwig Konings, and I'm excited to share with you all and talk with Kyle today a little bit more about custody and security tokens. So as we've discussed extensively throughout these podcast episodes, security tokens are defined as a digital representation of ownership in real-world assets. And this is represented as a token that has legally binding ownership rights to the underlying asset. And this is nothing new. We spent a lot of time making sure that everyone's clear on the definition of what a security token is. But today, we're going to get into how custodians will manage asset ownership on an institutional scale and what's required to manage ownership as a digital token that has been originated on the blockchain. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But Herwig, I think uh, we have an update on our SEC private exemptions document, right? Now we do. It's officially in as of the time of this podcast going live. It should be live on the website, on the SEC website, probably in the next 24 to 48 hours. That is how long it took the last time when we, we had originally already submitted. But very exciting. We had a lot of industry participants across the board participate and sign and advocate with us. We're excited to kind of share with you everybody that was involved soon. But for now, we want to thank everybody listening that also signed it, shared it, and got the word out. Ultimately, I think this is going to be a really good, strong message to the SEC. And with that, Kyle, let's jump right into the industry news. Let's get it. First off, we're going to start off with a former MAS regulator joining the ISTOX exchange in Singapore. The MAS is the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the equivalent to the SEC out there. And Lim May Shern had spent over 15 years supervising capital markets as well as focusing on the fintech aspects in Singapore. And now she's gone private. She's joined the ISTOX platform as its new head of compliance, Kyle. Uh, Makes a lot of sense as a former regulator, joining them as a a compliance officer. But more importantly, also a very good look for them as a platform to make sure that to the world they're communicating that we are going to be compliant with the MAS and we have a former regulator on board to help us with that. Interestingly notable about ISTOX or ISTO Exchange is that they are also backed by the Singapore Exchange. Hmm. Uh, and they're, they're expected to be live in 2020 with doing some private testing in Q4. This has been really, a, I think, a big move in general, but we've seen a lot of movement out of Singapore. So I'm excited to see if they actually end up uh, going live uh, early 2020 because they really have our, our structured and set up to, to start listing assets, as I understand it, very soon. I'm absolutely psyched about this. We talked about a lot of international exchanges a few episodes ago, and and I ended up posting an article on Medium about over 45 international security token exchanges, and it's it's great to see that that, that we're really making some great progress here. This is a serious exchange backed by the Singapore exchange, the official Singapore exchange, and 
They're, they're taking steps to make sure that they're compliant and, and ready to list assets. Q4 is, is this quarter. So you know, we're, we're expecting in the coming months to, to really see some potential demos or some private betas or things like that as they start to ramp this production up. And, and uh, once 2020 rolls around, this, this could be very, very exciting. I'm not aware of any prior SEC officials as part of any exchanges here in the United States. So I think that's a major example of uh, a foreign jurisdiction potentially gaining some momentum here. But anyways, moving on, we going back to the U.S. here. J.P. Morgan recently announced that they have grown their IIN or their interbank, interbank information network to over 330 banks, with Deutsche Bank being one of the latest ones to join in. That's a lot of banks, Kyle. Um, and for those of you who are, are not familiar with the IIN, it's designed to share information between banks and help them make payments, similar to SWIFT, which is the main way that banks are, are currently doing inter-exchange. And of course, uh, JP Morgan is using Quorum, which they actually developed. It's a permissioned version of the Ethereum blockchain that, that they control. And the whole purpose of the Quorum blockchain is to speed up global payments. We actually heard from John Hunter, the global head of clearing for JP Morgan Chase, in a statement here. The intent with IIN was always to develop a meaningful ecosystem of bank users, all focused on harnessing emerging technologies such as blockchain to better address the complex cross-border payments industry. Stable coins are a hot topic, and JP Morgan Chase actually also announced the JPM coin earlier this year, mm -hmm. which is a stable coin pegged to the US dollar that one would presumably assume is going to be launched within the IIN network, which is a one of the, if not the biggest, banking network leveraging a stable coin and payment platform on the blockchain, as far as I know. In fact, the, they also announced that they anticipate growing the organization to over 400 banks wow. just by the end of the year, Kyle. That is enormous and certainly uh, going to make it much, much easier to create adoption for their blockchain technologies. I think it's just it's, it's interesting. We've talked about it many times here on the podcast and, and anybody that's interested in, in the crypto space and just this, the money's space in terms of, of making these things digital – I'm sure you're aware with all of the Facebook issues and, and the fact that regulators all around the world have been very questioning of Facebook actually launching their Libra currency. And uh, they are starting to come out with more information, you know, over the last couple of weeks regarding what that might look like and how it's pegged to national currencies. And it's just it's one of those things where it's almost a genie out of the bottle effect. I mean, you're not going to be able to stop Facebook and JPM and you know, China has been developing their currency with a lot of their tech players. This is just coming. And you know, good for JP Morgan to, to start launching this, but it's interesting that you don't see a whole lot of pushback yet from regulators on this side of it. Even though they're, they're kind of building something similar here, I mean, it's pegged to the dollar instead of a basket of currencies, but other than that, it's, it's pretty similar. So um, I do think that has something to do a little bit with the messaging, Kyle. You know, Libra came out there saying they're gonna really enable for a lot of different use cases, not just cross-border payments, but all kinds of benefits for the unbanked and many others, whereas, JP Morgan, they're really coming to say, look, we've developed a bank network. This bank network would benefit from blockchain technology. We've decided to use our own purpose-built uh, blockchain called Quorum. And in this case, assuming the JPM coin is built on Quorum, that is the instrument, the tool pegged to the U.S. dollar used to make 
cross-border payments, presumably. Again, we don't know if that's that's for sure what's going on. And of course, we're going to keep tracking this this story as it comes out. I know Kyle and I are both eagerly awaiting for for the launch of JPM Coin, which I believe is supposed to be next year, right? Let's I, hope. I we'll see. These things that. seem to get pushed off a little bit. But. Yeah, that's right. Moving on, on uh, back to exchanges here. Internationally, the Swiss International Stock Exchange has officially launched the SDX uh, platform into prototype mode. The Swiss Digital Exchange is a subsidiary of the, the SIX uh, and is designed specifically for blockchain-based securities. The exchange we had covered before had partnered with R3 to implement a Corda-based blockchain platform designed for end-to-end digital asset trading. In this case, the prototype they've launched features digital security token issuance, which is done with their Connexor service. They offer live trading, and of course, one of the many benefits of security tokens and blockchain-based securities, instant settlement. This trial run is to demonstrate the integration of a distributed CSD with the conventional model of a stock exchange. And new features like asset servicing and post-trade services are slated for a second prototype to be released in the coming months. They also noted in this article here, Kyle, which I think is a really big move, the exchanges partner with JP Morgan, Citibank, and Credit Suisse to explore other applications on the Swiss Digital Exchange. And for that reason, as I always like to do with my companies of the week, I like to award it to the company that is doing the most institutional things in the security token space. In this case, I do believe it is the ISX and the SDX simultaneously bringing to market what seems to be one of the most functional, institutional, blockchain-based digital securities exchanges. Now, before you get too excited about that, I did say it's a prototype, and at the end of the day, the full launch has been actually postponed to late 2020, specifically citing regulatory and legal aspects, because one of the main reasons is they're waiting on a change in the law. And once it is enacted, it'll allow the very same firm to go ahead and tokenize both Nestle and Novartis shares, which would be expected to be very hot, very demanded, but as I just said, is is currently not legal. Uh, I think it's exciting to see what else the SDX will come up with with some of their partners, and hopefully they could launch sooner than what they're expecting. But uh, nevertheless, I think it's a huge uh, progress forward. And I also want to mention that last a couple of weeks ago, I think we mentioned that SDX CEO Martin Hoblob had stepped down. It was citing a strategic issue, and we've since learned that that strategic issue was the fact that Martin had believed that SDX should be an independent entity versus, of course, the ISX looking at it as a fully owned subsidiary. Um, so make of that what you will, but I'm here to share the news. Yeah, I, I, I just can't wait. It, these exchanges, it's going to be an avalanche, man. Every jurisdiction seems to be really excited to embrace this in one way or another, but they're all kind of waiting for a little bit more clarity, a little bit, they're almost waiting for someone to, to fully approve it. And then I think a lot of these European jurisdictions will all follow suit once you know one groundbreaking exchange moves forward, whether that's from, from one of the larger, you know, economies in the EU or, or, or certainly in, in the case of Asia, you know, potentially if Singapore can actually launch one of these exchanges and then you just are going to start to see a mass adoption let's, of let's these Let's say the, the firing gun has started, right? The, the race is on at that point. However, I do want to correct you. Not every jurisdiction is as excited as we are and some of these other more pro-digital securities 
industries here and in jurisdictions. And I'm talking actually about South Korea, which recently we learned the Liberty Korea Party or the LKP, which is the main opposition party to the current government of South Korea, has recently worked on a three-month consultation and worked with 90 different civilian experts to launch a pro-innovation and pro-finance policy aimed at developing a framework for, you guessed it, security tokens as part of a digital finance Korea, an initiative aimed uh, at the conservative, currently no cryptocurrency stance of, of the existing government. We, we, as you had just pointed out, Kyle, all expect the, the tokenized securities movement to be embraced worldwide, globally, especially once you see other jurisdictions and other exchanges do it in action. But it would appear that already there is an existing group within South Korea that is very active and clearly they're, they're actually the main, main opposition party that are focusing and thinking about the future of South Korea from a financial perspective. And at the very least, they've identified not cryptocurrency, but specifically security tokens and tokenizing them or tokenizing traditional assets as a way to make South Korea a leader in the financial markets, just as many of the other jurisdictions that we've seen embrace it as well. It's all about starting that dialogue. You need to start somewhere. And we applaud the Liberty Korea Party for beginning that dialogue and having that conversation. I presume that a lot of that no crypto policy comes from what China also did with banning ICOs and, and a lot of these jurisdictions who are afraid of a lot of the scams, the pump and dump schemes, and, and a lot of the, the reasonable fears around what, where crypto was, was seeming to be a scam in a lot of cases. And I think that, that, again, as we try to do on this podcast, making it clear that there is a significant difference between those cryptos and security tokens and that we're really just trying to empower investors and allow more capital to flow into private markets for smaller businesses and for smaller entrepreneurs to be able to grow and scale their companies. And so it starts with the dialogue and then hopefully, you know, we can we can make moves from there. Yeah, we may be preaching to the choir here, Kyle, but I, I think it's worth mentioning that we've had several episodes on the topic of defining security tokens and the importance for regulators to create positive environments for tokenized securities to thrive. Without it, they will be left behind. Moving forward, the SEC themselves have also become a little bit active again in the so-called crypto world here, recently charging ICO incubator called ICO Box. Uh, and the founder, Nikolai Evdikimov, hopefully I said that right, well for conducting an illegal $14 million securities offering uh, of ICO Box. The company, from those who don't know, are, it's a, a issuance platform specifically designed for ICO sales. And around the time of the, the ICO craze, they did themselves do an ICO, raising $14 million. They were called ICOs tokens. <laughs> they are really going all in on it. And Michelle Wayne, Wayne Lane, the regional director of the Los Angeles regional office of the SEC, called the ICOs tokens that were sold in the unregistered offering as virtually worthless and failed to offer investors proper risk guidance on top of the fact that the platform also happened to be helping other issuers also fundraise more than half a billion dollars, by the way, and of course, some of those ICOs being looked at from the perspective as the SEC as securities, and rightfully so, most likely, therefore triggering the fact that they needed to be a licensed broker-dealer here in the, the United States with FINRA in order to conduct and assist those offering sales. So they're getting hit for their own ICO, as well as for the fact 
that they are doing unregistered broker activity here in the United States. They are a Russian-based firm. And it, I think it also reaffirms the fact that the SEC is still very active, Kyle. They're still looking to pursue actions against those who were, who were and are unlicensed brokers and fundraising platforms, as well as also still going after the ICO issuers themselves, those who deliberately scammed or those who created a, a meaningless and worthless product and clearly failed to offer proper protections or guidance to investors, they, the SEC is going to continue to come after them. As they should. They, they are setting these, these rules to protect their investors and, and the people of their jurisdiction, this case obviously being the U.S. And they're looking for feedback. That's why we, we published our feedback to them on our private securities exemption. And, and you know while I think that we've gotten a ton of positive support from our document, there's only 20 or 30, maybe 40 at most responses to their request for feedback. And certainly I see all of the time people complaining about U.S. jurisdiction and people frustrated with the fact that things are moving too slow or X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it, people like this, you can't go around the rules. There are rules. And if you'd like to change them, let's, let's put some thought into making an impact. And that's what, what you know, a lot of our, our support has been doing. And, and the SEC is no one to be afraid of as long as you're just following the, the pretty clear rules that they've set. So um, in this case, it does seem like, like this, this maybe was warranted based off of the the, the actions. Yeah, business as usual for sure. And I think many in the industry or at least close to, to this, this topic in this company know that this was probably expected sooner than later. And it's good to see that the SEC is still actively pursuing this stuff. Next up, we have Asset Block, which launched a tokenized property trading tool on the Algorand, Algorand blockchain. Sorry. Real estate, uh, it's a real estate startup, Asset Block, for those of you who don't know, an issuance platform. They are basically tying commercial properties linked to Algorand tokens on their, their platform. The offering is expected to list uh, live some offerings in mid-October. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Kyle will offer us some great coverage when they do come out. So this is really just an announcement. And it is unclear to me whether you'll actually need to buy algo tokens to exchange them for the real estate investments or if you'll be able to participate in them directly or... You know, it's, it's they, the article mentions that the, the properties, the investments are linked to the algo tokens. So the presumption is that you'll, you'll need to exchange them for, for participation. So are you aware if the algo tokens, did they do an ICO? Is it a utility token or, or what's the... You know, I don't know much about the offering themselves. I do know that they did do an ICO. Okay. I believe they raised about $60 million wow. on top of a $200 million fund to wow. invest in Algorand projects. Okay. I think something like Acid Block or some of the offerings that they're bringing to market maybe are a good fit for that. I don't know. Um, but I do think that uh, what you're getting at is that potentially, you know, what, what do these algo tokens look like? Are they securities? Are they cryptocurrency? Are they an asset that we can use to exchange? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, as we right, often of say on the show, Kyle. I don't know much more about the sale itself, but certainly worth looking into, right? We had covered recently also Ripple, which is a cryptocurrency here in the United States that is going through a battle right now in a similar sort of situation that you just brought up, Kyle, right? They did a, an ICO, an initial offering for their, their tokens. Now there's a massive secondary market, and Ripple can be used to exchange for anything, and in principle... What it sounds like is Asset Block is going to allow you to pay for 
securities using the Ripple token, or in this right. case, the Algo token. Right. Okay. So there would be a big concern around if those Algo tokens ever do become classified as securities here in the U.S., because that would certainly make that a, a, a big friction point for participating on the platform for sure. Uh, who knows what else it would actually imply for the company. We'll have to see. I figured that, that yeah, it's definitely... Oh, great question. That's, that's what we're here for. I'm sure some of our listeners were thinking the same, Kyle. I'm sure. Um, it, no comments? Sorry, I'll keep going here then. We're almost done here on the news, but we had a big week. Onera, for those of you who don't know, Onera is a, um, a network designed to be a dedicated security tokens blockchain. It was launched by Ami Ben David, who is also a manager of Spice VC, which was, for many of you, I'm sure already know, one of the first tokenized funds in the world. It's currently trading on OFM. They have lots of great portfolio companies, and they are often seen as some of the pioneers within the industry securitized fund out of that. Uh, but, but ultimately, Ami Ben David went on to focus on Onera, preaching for the need of a, an institutional blockchain. In this case, the announcement is for the fact that they're releasing a digital securities API, which is also, by the way, leveraging the blockchain management service by Amazon, which is built on Hyperledger Fabric. So hmm. you know, it's going to be a very robust platform that ideally many developers will be able to easily interact with and be familiar with already. It's a simple API, and the API itself will enable the issuance and management of digital securities on their network. Um, I, would, I would like to also mention that you know, Onera ultimately is establishing their network of nodes only being limited to regulated financial establishments. We're talking banks, asset managers, exchanges, regulated institutions that can exclusively manage the, the nodes. So this is a little bit of an approach like um, what's called with Mike Cagney provenance here. Uh, Provenance also has a large, uh, currently big user base of institutions that power it. It's their way for participating and getting access to the network. Presumably, those institutions will have some kind of a benefit for participating on the network. And the idea behind it is that if you have a single universal blockchain powered by all these different exchanges and institutions... You will therefore be able to have a more efficient system for managing those securities, which includes, of course, liquidity, trading, settlement, and everything else in between, right? So that's the concept behind it. For those of you who really want to learn more about it, definitely go check out CIS because Ami will be doing both a presentation and a fireside chat on the topic. But there's also a hackathon on the actual API where we can probably expect a lot of cool different applications to come out of using their their api so if you're a developer maybe it's worth considering checking that out as well definitely yeah we're looking forward to to hearing more from ami we will be at crypto invest summit in la uh we actually are, are you know hoping to, to be on some panels or something like that so you definitely will see us around there so we're excited to see more about about onera and what they're looking to launch and we'll provide more info once we get some more details Next up, we have an announcement from Swarm, which actually has launched the iPass, or the Investor Pass, essentially a, a profile designed to be reusable for token sales. 
storing your compliance and personal information for KYC and AML. This is a step many of us have taken participating in an online investment opportunity and recertifying this information is a constant pain in the ass. Uh, everybody knows that. So the idea that there's going to be a kind of universal tool, almost a la a Facebook login or a Gmail login, you could use to streamline and automatically authorize your information to a token sale. That is, sounds to me like a really great tool. One of the main value propositions of security tokens is easing the access to online investments. So something like iPass helping speed up that compliance and onboarding for investors as well as creating more security and privacy in turn for them, I think certainly aids that mission and will be a great tool hopefully to be adopted. Totally agree. Reducing friction in a tedious point in the investment process is, is always a great feature, a great value add. And especially when you're prioritizing security of that information, right? Making sure that your data is not going anywhere and certainly the most personal data of yours, which is the KYC AML, right? All of that very personal information, making sure that that's secure is, is, is one of their main priorities with, with this iPass and, and certainly is, is one of our main priorities as consumers. And so uh, personal identity and security are just really huge in our digital world, whether it's being secure and whether it's what's reducing that friction and just being able to prove you are who you say you are without necessarily needing to overexpose yourself. So, you know, I've been very impressed with Swarm. I think it's a, they're a really hardworking team and have done a lot with security token issuers to, to onboard and to, to work with, with the fundraising and issuance of a few notable security tokens over the last six or nine months. So... For Swarm, Herwig, I think they're going to be my company of the week this week. I've been, oh. been happy to see what they've been doing and, and look forward to, to watching them grow and, and build their platform. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Con congratulations to Swarm. They are indeed a great team. They've been pioneering in the space alongside many others from the very beginning. I continue to look forward to all their updates for a really, you know, I think they're especially focused on a decentralized world for security tokens. And mm -hmm. I think the iPass tool fits right within that. Definitely. On that note, we actually, Kyle, we received a tip from a supporter of the show, Sam Choksi. He is launching the Stacks investment platform, letting individuals access tokenized investment opportunities, specifically partnered with Swarm, in order to let people do so. And I presume that they will also support the Swarm iPass, but this is a tip. This is... Uh, a bit of news from, from the inside here for you all. And so we'll be looking for future updates from Sam. We'll, we'll be looking out. I appreciate the tip and thanks for listening. Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, that there's going to be some more news coming out. This is kind of just more of a teaser and, and we wanted to give him a quick shout out and, and tell him that we're, we're backing him and in, in, in full support of, of what they're looking to launch there. If you're interested in learning more and to end my news segment here, all of the articles that we just discussed, including the platform I just mentioned, are available in the description. We source all of this information from Security Token Market News, which is available at stomarket.com news. I continue to ask fellow members here to contribute content as you come across it, please, so that we can include it on our show and have the healthiest and most in-depth um, version of the, the latest week's events in the security token space. So thanks again for all of those of you who are actively submitting, and I'm encouraging everyone else, please do so as well. And that's it, Kyle. That's all I have for you for the industry news. I'm looking forward to learning more about the latest STOs. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite time of the episode where I get to talk about some security token offerings and some more specific security tokens. And so we're going to lead it off actually with an update 
on one of the, the security tokens that we featured in a previous episode. And that has to deal with the, the Curzio executive offering, the CEO token um, led by, by Steve Curzio and, and the newsletter there. And, uh, and he actually responded to, to me on Twitter and had mentioned that their, their Curzio equity owners, or I'm sorry, Curzio equity owners token is going live trading in July. So um, they're, they're, I guess, completed their fundraise and they're looking to go live for their offering in July. So look out for a secondary traded token for his newsletter and financial advice. And, and they launched a token around that, which is which I is suppose no insight as to where. I reached out to him. I haven't yet heard info yet from him on that topic. When I, when I am able to get in touch with him, hopefully I'll have more information regarding, you know, how they completed their raise and, and, and more information on potential exchanges and jurisdictions and all of that fun stuff. But I figured I'd give him a little shout out because he, he, uh, Absolutely. he let me know. That so would be exciting. awesome. Hope it gets back to you. The more tokens that we can get secondary trading, the more assets available, the better. Moving forward, we have submitted by, by a user on, on STM News token will that buying.com has been approved to trade on open finance after a token split with Polymath. And so, as we know, Open Finance Network is one of the live exchanges here in the U.S. We currently have two that are trading security tokens. We've got Open Finance Network and we have the T0 platform that we certainly talk about quite a bit because they almost are always in the news. But Buying.com is an is a e-commerce platform that allows stores and consumers to buy direct from manufacturers. So it's just an e-commerce platform that, that's doing a great job. And... I actually wasn't aware of their initial offering. So I'm not sure if it was a private raise or if it was something, you know, they, they did it in a different jurisdiction or, or it certainly escaped our purview and, and we certainly try to have a big microscope on the space. So um, they actually completed their token sale and they are going to complete a reverse 20 times split. And so essentially, I guess they had issued too many tokens to fit the open finance requirements and guidelines for open finances listing and trading services. And so they are completing a 20 times reverse split, which means that they take for every 20 tokens that a, a token holder has, it, it converts to one. Um, so they reduce their supply 20 times huh. to fit the supply requirements, presumably of the open finance network platform. And so they've successfully completed that with Polymath and now using Polymath's ERC 1400 compliant tools, this split was required by Open Finance to meet its standards for trading a ST20 token. So there are two you know, frameworks used here between the ERC 1400 compliance framework and the ST20 token guidelines. And so there's a lot going on here, Herwig, but the big moral of the story that we take away from this is that buying.com's token will be live on Open Finance. And so Super. I was unable to find any information on when that might happen, but we're very excited about that and certainly we'll be, be keeping you updated on the secondary information there. Yeah, definitely. We also have news from Overstock. Speaking of T0, we have Overstock who is postponing their security token dividend. So if you remember, we had mentioned that CEO or former CEO now Patrick Byrne had announced that Overstock.com, the e-commerce platform that owns T0 and all of the subsidiaries, was going to do a security token dividend for their traditional shareholders of their public offering. 
And so the idea here was that if you owned 10 shares of their public security, you had the option to receive a, a digital token representing preferred equity. And so they were doing it at a 10 to 1 ratio and that, that security token digital offering was supposed to be, or at least in our, we, we understood it to be mirroring in value to the public offering. What we, what we found in this, in this update is that they're postponing the dividend because they're seeking a Rule 144 exemption that will remove the lockup period. Because apparently when you issue a security token, there's a six-month lockup period for the specific exemption or, or specific issuance that they were looking to make. And now T0 is postponing that dividend to seek the exemption that allows them to remove that six-month offering, presumably because if it's mirrored to a public offering or a public security that anyone, any retail trader can buy, why does the security token component have different restrictions, right? If it's mirroring the exact same offering, it should have the exact same restrictions. And so I understand where they're coming from, but again, I'm not a lawyer, so to decipher a lot of these regulation exemptions and all of these different nuances is certainly difficult to navigate, but I'll keep you updated on what the final consequence is. The other, the other piece of information from this document that I'm not sure whether this was something that you and I were not familiar with or misunderstood or if this is a new update, it's, it's relatively unclear, but what we see is that also mentioned in this document or in this, this post from the SEC filings at NASDAQ, so this is legit. Um, is that the board approved a conversion rate for the, the digital security, the digital security token preferred stock to 10 shares is equivalent to one of the common stocks. So essentially we went from it being one-to-one -one mirrored to actually a tenth of the value of a public security. So the public OSTK stock that's traded on the NASDAQ is now representative of 10 of the security token preferred equity that they're looking to launch as a dividend. So this is, this is very different than what we had understood. Um, and so now this is what the board has approved. So clearly, I guess that there was a change there, uh, but that's something important to note as we watch the price of the overstock security token versus the public equity, you should expect it to be about a 10th of the value as opposed to one to one. So just so I have this right, Kyle, the original record date for the dividend of September 23rd has been pushed. Yes. The original one-to-one -one offering is now one to 10 in terms of the price of this, or, or the conversion, the conversion for the security token for the original share. And what stayed the same is that you need 10 original shares in order to be given one security token. Do I have that right? That's that's what I have so far. Do you didn't see anything about changing that that eligibility? So well, if it's one to ten on the actual security token, that actually means you need to own a hundred common shares in order to get one full value of those shares <laughs> in a security token. That's what. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, that's that's what we've read here. That's what it seems like the new update is. Is that. If you own 10 common shares, you get one security token dividend, which represents a tenth of a common share. So if you own 100 common shares, then you would be getting 10 security token shares, which represents the value of one common share. So for every 100 shares you own, you get one share, one common share, which is worth a value that I believe 
can be chosen between whether you accept it as a security token or as a regular share. It's very complicated. And on top of that, after the fact, they're interchangeable, right? So you can actually, at any point in time, take one of your common shares and turn them into 10 security tokens or vice versa. It's my understanding. And I think that now that we see that there is a conversion rate established, that certainly would lead me to believe that that will be the case. But since these shares have not been issued yet, it's not live. We will only time will tell how this plays out. But as you can see, it seems like the new CEO, Jonathan Johnson, has not quite cleared up all of the convolution in this whole process because it's quite, it's quite a mess. I'll tell you one thing, Kyle. I certainly don't think we can have this type of a conversation unless you had security tokens. So it's very, very fascinating. <laughs> it's awesome work. They're doing great things, but it's definitely we're, we're still working our way to, to feasibility. Uh, moving forward, we have the We Own Security Token, and We Own is an STO crowdfunding platform. And so they're actually pre-registering for their investor profiles and completing identity checks, doing the KYC, all of that stuff. Their initial round begins as an invite-only round at the date of posting, which is September 24th. It's Tuesday. Today is Monday. Um, and so tomorrow they will begin their investor invite-only onboarding. And then I think their public race begins mid-October. So if you're interested in participating in that, definitely go check out We Own. On top of that, they also, I believe, have a... STO that they're looking to assist with the fundraise at the same time concurrently. And so Project Crowd AG is a job tech company that's trying to connect professionals with the best culture and productive job opportunities. And so they're launching a security token on the WeOwn platform that also seems to go live on Tuesday, September 24th. That being said, on their profile, there's not any information, official information on the structure of their deal. So if, if you're interested in checking that out, definitely go back there and check it out with more details, potentially tomorrow uh, or day of, of listening for when we post or, or keep updated with that moving forward. And potentially there will be more clarity on what that structure will look like moving forward. Finally, Herbie, we had quite a week here with, with security token offerings. I've got one more here for you. And this is with the LDX exchange security tokens. We had mentioned the LDX exchange before. They are a regulated UK FCA exchange, and they're launching a revenue share token based off of their LDX exchange called the LDXG token. And they're looking to raise six million US dollars for their fundraise. So if you're interested in supporting a UK exchange that's, that's looking to, to provide liquidity for security tokens, definitely check out the LDX exchange security token as well. Wow, that's super, Kyle. That seems very institutional. Finally, we've got a market update. We have the T0 token price, which is, is sitting around 230 today. So it's down tremendously. It's, it's down almost 20% from where we were last week. It's very much fluctuating. Certainly, I don't think that the overstock token delays did any benefit to the T0 token. Again, as we've talked about, this token does kind of depend on the other assets on the exchange and how much they're being traded. So as news comes out about them onboarding new issuers or removing issuers, certainly you would expect that to affect the price. So it shouldn't be shocking to anyone. What we do see is some still some solid trading volumes. We're looking at, at over $16,000 US dollars in trading volume today. Um, again, this is, this is significantly up from where they were before retail investors had access to the platform. So they're certainly getting some trading volume in here, but it would be nice to have some additional assets to, to, to monitor and trade there. And the token market cap uh, in full security tokens we're looking at is somewhere in that $130 million range. This is 
to be expected. The T0 token is really the only thing we're seeing that's fluctuating in price from, from what we're seeing. Open Finance is, is still working on, on you know, building that liquidity in their markets and building the investor appetite. And that's all we've got for security token offerings. We, we uh, really covered the whole map there. And, and Herwig, I think we've got some events that, uh, to, to remind everyone of. Yeah, I appreciate forward. that update. You know, the market is moving slowly but surely, in my opinion. And it's just as you nailed it, right? As more tokens get listed, we'll be able to track more. We'll start to see more volume. There'll be more participation. And we'll hopefully have even more and more to share in the following weeks. Events-wise, we have a, a webinar coming up. The webinar itself, uh, let me just check on the date for you here. It's tomorrow. It's, it's to Tuesday. It's today, so the, the, or the day of listening, if Tuesday, you will. Tuesday, yes. A classic one of those situations. So apologies <laughs> for that, but it does have a, a heck of a line up here. So if you can participate tomorrow, it's going to be at uh, 3GMT is around what do you know? It's in the afternoon. Hopefully you can catch it. I believe they may also post the, the webinar VOD somewhere on demand. 1 p.m. Eastern. 1 p.m. Eastern. So this comes out at 8. You've got three hours to, to quick get this. Um, I had I, I found this through Twitter in our research and, and wanted to include it because the, the chairman of the SmartLens board, SmartLens obviously we've talked about as an issuance platform that has done a great job issuing new security tokens and, and I think is, is, is a great platform that's really up and coming. So he, the chairman of the board is, is leading this conversation. He's also the CEO of SmartLens. On top of that, we have the RCAX CEO, Graham Rodford. I'm sorry, Arnoldus Nauzeda is, is the CEO of SmartLens. We have Graham Rodford, the RCAX CEO. And RCAX is an up-and-coming regulated institutional-grade exchange for security tokens. So uh, European-based security token exchange, the CEO, will also be there. Globacap CEO, which was Herwig, I think your company of the week, only a few episodes ago. Their CEO, Miles Milston, will also be on the panel. And then finally, Max Dillendorf, who has been leading many webinars over, over the last couple of months from Dillendorf and Cordain is a he's a co-founder of this law firm and he's an attorney and so i think it's going to be a great panel it's it's some new faces and new names that that certainly in in this the u.s security token circles haven't been quite as familiar with a lot of these these teams over the last couple of years but over the last year in 2019 it seems like they've really made, done some great things and made some big splashes so i certainly would be excited to check this out and, and hear what they have to say so definitely go listen to that webinar if you're around and if you can catch that in time. If not, maybe we'll be able to post the, the webinar link once it goes live on. Yes, I hope so. They usually have great videos of these webinars that go up after the fact. And as you just said, it's a rock star lineup. So hopefully we will be able to see a video we can share more information on. Next, we also have our usual series of events for October that we've been discussing. We have FinTech 2020 on October 3rd and 4th in Washington, DC. We have the Crypto Invest Summit on October 14th and 15th in Los Angeles. We have the World Blockchain SEO uh, Summit in Dubai on October 21st. And on the same day in New York City, we have Crypto Ops 2019. With that, we can move on to our main topic, Kyle, custody. So this is an exciting topic. We certainly, you know, custody is something that, that's very interesting because of its differences between crypto and security tokens. And so a common misconception is that the security tokens can be hacked or stolen. I mean, certainly we've seen this in the crypto space 
many times with these crazy headlines of $60 million stolen or, or, or this exchange hacked or this or that. But it's not a reality for security token ownership. And, and it, it's, it's something that we, we've strived to make clear. And, and, and on top of moving away from that misconception, I think it's also going to be very interesting to talk about some of the potential benefits of custody. Um, but due to the immutable ledger of ownership, tokens aren't stolen or if tokens are stolen rather or improperly acquired, you know, the individual tokens can just be burned and removed from the circulating supply and reissued to the rightful owner. So this is not something that you need to worry about necessarily in terms of it just being, oh, the transaction is permanent, I can't get anything back. No, that's not how it works for the public securities if that were to ever happen. And it certainly wouldn't happen for you know, private securities because again, it's a legally binding ownership for the specific right. custody. T tokenization holder. is a governance benefit. That's what's going on here. So you do not need to worry about in this old world, even, even you know, I'm glad that you talked about, Kyle, this, this issue of cryptocurrencies getting stolen because that, that's of course not possible with security tokens when it's all on the ledger and you're either using an issuance platform or a transfer agent to correct any issues. But more importantly, in the traditional way, in the 99% of way things are done without any wallets or anything like that, you do also have plenty of cases of fraud and issuance and simply negligence on behalf of an issuer where you might have an issue as an investor fighting for your rights or fighting for your equity of your original investment. And that can only be done with a lawyer using whatever evidence you can to show that you made that investment from legal documents to, to anything else. Whereas with an immutable ledger that everybody uses as a owner of the security, if it's managed by the issuer, it's, it's simply impossible to, to try and, and I don't want to say impossible because fraud always finds a new way to evolve, but at the end of the day, it definitely makes it a lot more difficult because everything is fully traceable and can be reversed if necessary when presented with the right uh, information. And if a reversal that happens that's incorrect, Kyle, guess what? You can reverse the reversal because ultimately at the end of the day, as long as there is a legal quality of proof on everything, you'll be able to amend things the, the way they were. So we don't need to worry about people stealing our tokens anymore. And we don't need to worry about someone trying to rip me off, let's say, because it's all on paper and it's a completely analog, fragmented and difficult process. So why is personal custody then important for security tokens? Why, do, why would an issuer really care? That's a really great question, Kyle, because it, it does matter a little bit on the perspective, right? We're, we're primarily right now talking about angel investors or accredited investors, or if you want to go as far as to say non-accredited retail investors participating in a Reg CF or Reg A plus offering that happens to be tokenized. In this case, what we're talking about here is indeed, as you have defined it, as personal custody. In the traditional sense, you also are personally managing your, your asset. But in this case, you didn't really have a representation of it. It was really just merely you're part of a cap table. Maybe there's a digital tool like Carta helping you power that. Or more likely, you are a row on an Excel sheet held by the issuer. In this case, because you now have true ownership of your security via this represented token, you can actually now enable a lot of governance benefits. On top of the benefits that we just talked about regarding clear record of ownership and no concerns around legal settlements or disputes around that, we also have the theft protection because you can't, no one, as we just said, no one could steal it. 
Then on top of that, we have dividend collection methods that'll make it easier for you to collect, say, a coupon payment or a dividend payment. You have proxy voting tools, which can be done either by staking the token or built directly into the issuance platform managing it. You now have a way that you can sell your token, of course, the most talked about benefit of all. Me now personally owning my investment into said startup allows me to take that investment either peer-to-peer -to, -peer to somebody else who qualifies, to an exchange that is regulated, enabling me with the, the finding me, brokering me a, a buyer. Uh, so there's now a real personal ownership benefit. And because of the fact that, again, it's all on chain, you have to worry a lot less about some of these analog processes that could go in and potentially create opportunities for fraud or simply issues within the governance process. I also think it opens the door for institutional custodians. And so I think it's also important to talk a little bit about what a third-party asset custodian does. And so in traditional financial services providers, a third-party a third custodian manages and secures the, its clients' funds. And so as you mentioned, for retail or for accredited investors, for smaller cap investors, this is not something that they necessarily need because they can manage it as, as well as they might need to. They've got 20 or 30 investments and so they can, they can manage that pretty effectively when you're talking about you know, a smaller amount of money. But for, for larger institutions, you know, um, they, they find a ton of value in, in, find, in using these custodian banks as they're colloquially called because they offer the same kind of asset security that banks provide for liquidity in, in cash and providing all of those services. And so the question is, do security tokens need asset custodians or certainly do large funds that maybe end up participating in security tokens need them? And it's a fair question, right, Kyle, because we just made the argument that thanks to blockchain technology, we can now personally custody our securities and our assets without fear of stealing or fraud or any issue with a more effective way of managing things because I can collect information, I can participate, I can get dividends, or I can even create liquidity all by myself. So that is a massive improvement. So it begs the question, if you don't need to worry about your, your information your, your token's getting stolen, then what does a third-party service provider add value to in this case? Because we do know that when it comes to retail markets and the public markets, as well as institutions, they will all use a custody agent to, to you know, house their assets and their securities. So will the case be the same for security tokens? Well, I certainly think that there's a legal component here in terms of, of needing to have a custodian for certain certain types of transactions. But I also am incredibly excited and see a ton of value in the support features that a third-party custodian can layer on top of that traditional management. And so when I'm talking about that, we're talking about visualizing and tracking the portfolio, where you can have an analysis of your portfolio and its information and how that is performing across all of your different assets. You can have improved wealth management and growth in terms of rebalancing your portfolio if you want to store specific cash and you know you want to participate in security tokens and you can allow a wealth manager to potentially rebalance that portfolio. Certainly an extended feature of a custodian and maybe there's some blurred lines between whether that's a separate financial services provider or not, but certainly they are providing custody for your assets and rebalancing those over time. You have account management for dividend, coupon payments, things like that, whether it's to collect those things and rebalance your portfolio and reinvest, 
or whether it's to draw those things out and, and manage them somewhere else. Let, let me even t- tackle that one just as a, an example, Kyle. Great, I have a security token as a personally in my own wallet and it sends me, let's call it JPM coin as their payment to me every 90 days. And when it comes to one company doing that, that's great. Maybe I have a couple more with the same method. I can manage that. But let's say I have another one that mails me a check. I own the security, but they have chosen not to leverage on-chain dividend payments or coupon payments. So now I've got one that's a security token that I'm getting physical checks from, and I've got another one that I'm getting on-chain instantly redeemable cash coupon payments for, right? That can get very complicated at scale. This is exactly where I might want a custody agent that streamlines and manages all of this for me so that I get my check, perhaps via JPM coin or traditionally as as probably how the client would like it, as one lump sum of everything as opposed to a dozen or worse hundreds of different transactions every month that need to be compiled and aggregated to give it a a more clean uh, understanding to the client. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. Is it's just it's scale thing, right? And when you're talking about this, yes, you can manage these things at, at a small time level, but when you get to hundreds of, of, of transactions and, and hundreds of assets or thousands of assets and, and you know millions of dollars, I mean, it's helpful to have all of these things streamlined by professionals who their only job is to manage these things for you so that you can focus on you know, doing the, the things that you do best. That, that scale component you're bringing up probably applies to liquidity too, right? I I'm mean, sure. At the yes. end of the day, you're, if you have a universal custody agent with a large network of exchanges, intermediaries, market makers, and buyers, and other institutions, it'll be much easier for you to find liquidity for your portfolio, more likely through them, if you custodied your assets with them, as opposed to you personally managing that process and looking for the various exchanges and calculating where are the best place to, to find liquidity and, and sell your security token on. So this becomes not only just about scale, but then also about your own time management capability. Uh, it just, it's natural progression. Much easier and much smarter, Herwig, because when you're looking sure. to sell a large block of a specific token, you don't want to just sell it on one exchange and just flood the order book. And now you've lost a ton of money in that process. You want to systematically sell smaller portions across multiple exchanges with multiple liquidity pools so that you can properly get the fair value for all of those shares. You can't just dump a million shares into the market. It's just going to flood the supply and and crush the price, right? So again, is that something that you as an asset manager want to do across all of your different holdings? Or would you rather somebody that they're, you know, that is is literally their job is to manage those things and provide those OTC transactions to manage and to, to, as you said, market makers that, that literally you know, work with, with asset holders to be able to rebalance those order books. So it's, it's, it's not only easier, it's, it's also just, just you're going to make more money that way in terms of selling or buying. ROI is everything, right? And you did also mention that there was a legal component to it too that I think is, is definitely worth bringing up more information on, which is jurisdictions around the world, they all have different regulations on how they're, they're treating, they're regulating financial securities. And most of the time, including here in the U.S. when you're dealing with brokers and public securities, but also in Europe and many others that I'm aware of, require a legal custody agent to be a part of the process. Maybe this is because they're outdated laws, 
But more importantly, it does de-risk a lot of these financial ecosystems and infrastructures, and therefore it creates one more layer of dedicated protection for investors within this ecosystem. So I, I think if I had to sum it up, and maybe you can sum it up differently, Kyle, is that when it comes to traditional custody management, especially for individual investors, blockchain technology pretty much levels the playing field and removes a lot of the analog problems that plagued investors today. Analog problems like paperwork being here and there, not having an official trail of record and other uh, things. But this also is an issue for, for institutional custody agents that will also improve their processes. But when it comes to taking advantage, it doesn't necessarily eliminate the need. The technology doesn't eliminate the need for a custody agent. In fact, custody agent will likely benefit from being able to offer a lot of additional services, financial services for you that can be much more effective at scale as well as for, for your time. I totally agree. I think that that's very well said. I think that the additional piece that we add on here is that these these third parties, especially as you've mentioned, these third party custody holders and these institutional custody providers are going to allow for international interoperability. And so with their huge capital allocations, with their large brand names, with their trusted reputations and the ability to be able to spend to properly legally protect themselves in, in as many jurisdictions as they can and work with as many exchanges as they can, it's just a total ease of use thing for investors, right? If you want to be owning assets across different countries, across different exchanges, if you need to work on shareholder governance and figure out how all of these pieces play together, especially as you said with the reality is that the security token definition, while it's something that we want every country to define, may be very different in different jurisdictions and who may be able to participate and who may not. And so working with a third-party custody agent, certainly for the intermediary settlement, will be a huge piece in terms of being able to figure out which assets you can buy, which ones you might not be able to buy, and how to manage all of those things across all of, the, all of your portfolio and being able to participate in governance and all of these things around the world all in one place, I think will be incredibly valuable on top of the, the huge technological benefit that security tokens provide that, that really, you know, I think make a huge difference as opposed to the analog ownership that we currently have today. So I think that the, the way that you've summed it up here, Herwig, with the economies of scale and, and your time results in the need for a third-party custody service on top of this wallet technology. And also akin to one of our previous episodes when we did a deep dive into transfer agents, which in a similar way become more efficient thanks to blockchain technology. And some of those benefits that they traditionally offer do become redundant as a result. But at the end of the day, their legal benefit as well as their efficiencies and scale benefits and added value services are really why you want to end up working with a third party as opposed to potentially managing your entire portfolio on your own, which, as we have identified, is also at least dramatically more efficient for angel investors and, and private investors as a result anyway. And we don't just see this as, as something that, that we see as 
Why his solution, you know, it's, it's all works together and, and certainly large institutions see it the same way. You look at the fact that Coinbase is already providing custody services for blockchain capital, which is a security token representing LP shares in, of a crypto investment fund. But even bigger than that, Coinbase provides custody for a lot of cryptos, which is really just a gateway for them to be able to provide buy and sell orders for those cryptos, which is really where they make a, a large portion of their money in the transaction fees. And we likely see something similar going forward with security tokens if they can get the proper licenses. On top of that, we have Fidelity Digital Assets, which is, you know, Fidelity is a large asset manager. They have a, they've created a subsidiary Fidelity Digital Assets that's expected to explore security tokens in the future. Currently, it does only provide support for Bitcoin, but that's understandable at this time because the security token space is still growing. And then finally, we have Backed. It is Backed Day today, Herwig, because Backed is owned by the Intercontinental Exchange, which also owns the New York Stock Exchange. And Backed is a Bitcoin futures platform that's, that's providing those, those contracts. And they're also expected to explore this space moving forward. And the reason why I call it Backed Day is because they actually went live with their Bitcoin futures today. Uh, today was the first day for them to do that, which is a great institutional step in the right direction. And so we'll see how that plays out moving forward. For those of you listening, that is actually yesterday. <laughs> but um, <laughs> in fact, that is right. Happy back day, Kyle. And ultimately, this is a clear example and sign that the institutional players both use custody as a value-added service for their investors. It's a must. It's a requirement, sometimes from a legal perspective, but really a must from a, a user experience perspective anyway. And also, more importantly, you see big institutions coming into this space, there is no doubt that we will start to see dedicated custody providers around security tokens come to light and, and provide a lot of the values that we were just talking about today, thanks to the fact that they're using an entirely on-chain ecosystem to manage and custody their securities and assets. So just like the exchanges that we're waiting on and watching to see as, as they continue to grow and expand, I think this is also a very interesting space that we'll continue to monitor as it grows and expands and is only going to do great things for the industry in terms of providing those institutional gateways and opportunities to, to feel more secure in investing in the space as well as, as really pushing the industry forward. I think that's great. And with all that, that's, that's all we have for you today. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope that you'll tune in again. However, it won't be next week. It will be two weeks from now. We're taking one quick break, and we'll be back to you with episode 14 in, in two weeks. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.